You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Welcome to episode 318 of Troubadours and Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. On this week's episode, we have a grand conversation with artist and activist, among other things, Trudy Gerlach. And we talked to Trudy about her work, her art, about the anthracite mines, about graphite and watercolors, the wondrous natural environment, society these days, and the role of art, perhaps, about tunnels and moving toward white supremacy, environmental refugees. It's a grand, as I mentioned, conversation with artist and activist Trudy Gerlach on today's program. We also have an EW essay titled Fun. And speaking of fun, we have Groucho Marx reading T.S. Eliot's Gus the Theater Cat to share with you, and a poem called Political Potluck. And, of course, as is always the case, all of this will be infused, imbued with the energy of several great tunes. It's so nice to have you with us. Let's get to it. Episode 318 of Troubadours and Tours. Lejos 
I sit on a stage in a theater designed for superior acoustical carry and listen to the conversations as everyone waits for instruction about the awards ceremony. I am participating as one giving an award to a young person passionate about the natural environment. In contrast, the energy and content of the side chatter of many of the muckety-mucks in the theater is revolving around the gala seven-course meal that awaits them at a new restaurant soon after we finish. I suppose that is a sign of success in this society, an invitation to such an affair of high-end culinary culture, something to be coveted. I wonder what they talk about there, while they sit at the table, clinking their cutlery and unfolding their napkins, sipping the wine and gulping the water? Have they genuine moments of deep, empathetic human connection? Selfless, soulful discourse relating to community challenges and the eternal human struggle? Perhaps they are more fun than that. And maybe this is the reason I am rarely invited. (laughs) 
Is that you, Trudy Gerlach? So and this nice would to be Larry. <laughs> yes, it's so nice to have you on Schubert's and Rock on Tours. Thanks for being on the show. Oh, <laughs> well, you're certainly welcome. I'm glad that you uh, you wanted me to be on it. Oh yeah, I think we're going to have a great conversation. I, I uh, I've um, put together a little bit of a bio based on what you shared with me, and pretty much it is what you shared. Let me share it with the listeners, if you don't mind, before we get started. Okay, fine. Okay, so we have Trudy Gerlach on the program, who was born in Serre, PA in 1941, raised on a farm near New Era, to which she returned in 1985 after living in New York, Chicago, and Norman, Oklahoma, and El Paso, Texas. Influenced in great part by her parents' deep love of nature, her mother's vocation as an artist, and her father's interest in science, since her early 30s, she has become increasingly absorbed in the natural world, art, and science. Additionally, in the past few years, Trudy has become entranced by the anthracite and social history of the Lackawanna and Wyoming Valleys. For the last quarter of a century, her life and work have been inspired by her partner and companion. Subjectively, Trudy's drawings are an attempt to decipher the mystery that comprises the world. So nice to have you on the program. Well, it's wonderful to be here. And uh, let's get right in. Let's uh, ask you about your art. I mean, mainly, you've done uh, several things over the years, but it seems mainly you uh, are working with detailed renderings. Is that, am I accurate? Yeah, that's that's accurate. I. Uh, it's not that I'm entranced. Well, I love I love renderings. I love uh, uh, drafting uh, old drafting drawings and whatnot. But um, it's not just that I'm interested in rendering. It's just there's something about small detail 
in art or uh, seen through microscopes that just knocks my socks off. I just uh, am entranced by it. Um, so that when I'm drawing, uh, if I'm trying to draw something and it's not working out right, I, I, I just keep on at it and eventually, hopefully, <laughs> get to a point where I see that the drawing is looking the way it should look. There's something about small, intricate things that, to me, are incredibly beautiful. Is it, so, is it like putting a, a magnifying glass on things, in a way, and and, and uh, really accentuating maybe what a lot of the detail a lot of people uh, overlook? Uh, I suppose, but um, it's... And, and when I draw, I certainly use... Um, reading glasses <laughs> so that I can see what I'm doing and get things to be really as fine as I can or as fine as I want them to be. And um, it's uh, certainly, I, I, I don't know that people really overlook this so much, but maybe some people focus more on really, uh, I happen to have really good eyesight in terms of being able to see closely without reading glasses. I can see you know, a couple of inches away from me. and uh, But I'm not sure that's why it fascinates me so much. And, I mean, what what uh, is it lead, basically, that you're using? Uh, yeah, I'm using graphite or watercolor. Uh, and graphite, I use lead holders for the most part, although if I put in something really deep black, then I use a really soft pencil. And watercolors, uh, appeal to me because you can you can work with them and get them almost as fine as uh, as graphite. I wish there were colored pencils that were the same as graphite. Graphite has you can shade it so much you can make it really dark and it can go to really light. And when you're working with a, a, a pencil or a graph a, a lead holder, you can get it to to shade immensely beautifully. But you can't do that with colored pencils. They have wax in them, and they're just not... They, the particles of the pencils aren't as small, how, if that makes any sense. <laughs> yeah, makes sense to me. How, how does, uh, how does the, the graphite uh, stand the test of time? You know, do you have to protect it in, a, in an extra special way so it doesn't smudge or what have you? Uh, well, I don't use... The, some people use spray fixative, but I don't use that. It sort of changes the way the paper and the graphite look, so um, I just let it be. And if I have a finished drawing, I usually frame it and have it have glass in front of it. Um, but certainly, if it were not... Uh, if it didn't have glass in front of it, and it were, you know, if you were to touch it or if brushed against something, it would smear. Right, that's, uh, that's what I yeah. And um, your your subjects, you know, what what is what what would you say you're focusing on as of late or over the years when you do draw? Well, um, for quite some time, up until the last couple of years, I was doing this. I guess what turned out to be a series of drawings that would involve having a a a, a plant, uh, a part of a plant, usually a leaf, and I would combine it with a geometric construction um and sometimes the combinations were intuitive or other times there were specific reasons that i combined them um i was really interested in and still am and don't unfortunately know that much about it i was really interested in phyllotaxis which is the growth of uh, plants um for instance if you look at a sunflower you see the uh, spirals in the uh 
in the flower or mm-hmm. in the seeds. Um, I was really interested in how that came to be. So I had one drawing that I did a, a, a variegated begonia leaf and then combined that with a geometric construction of the angle that um, had to do with phyllotaxis and that in that particular plant. Uh, and then another drawing that I did was of a uh, of a liverwort. I'm really fascinated with small, tiny uh, bryophytes, which are mosses or liverworts or hornworts, and uh, they're all very small and don't have vascular systems. And I uh, drew a liverwort called conocephalum, and the way you can see you can see the uh, the way the cells are. They have this little hole in them, a stomata, and um, I. I did this one in watercolor, and it's 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 pretty it's a close up of it, and then I combined that with a uh, a, a cross section of the Pantheon, which has the oculus at the top, which is a sort of an air hole also. Hmm. <laughs> so in that case, there was a particular connection between the two the two uh, things, the leaf and the uh, and the geomet- geometry. Are you going out into the natural environment to find uh, these and, and study them, or is it from your recollection? No, I actually, as time went on, I had to start working from photographs because in drawing um, the plant material, it would disintegrate and I, before I even had the drawing halfway done, so I started working from photographs. And I, I find working from photographs to be just fine. I mean, I take the photographs myself and I try to, you know, get what I want and get them to look really great. And it, it's kind of disappointing in a way because if something's out of focus, then I have to reconstruct it somehow. I have to figure out how, how it would have looked. But it's better than having a dead plant sitting in front of me and not having anything to draw from. Right, you don't want to be like John Audubon who would kill birds at first so they can draw them, you know, until he realized, well, oh, wait a minute, <laughs> this isn't right. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I do uh, pick uh, some things, uh, some plants and bring them back and, and photograph them on a piece of white paper or something like that, and unfortunately that is also killing them, but I guess there's this belief that picking flowers isn't as bad as killing a bird. Yeah, I would go with that. I think we're cool with that. <laughs> Um, <laughs> and do you ever, uh, and maybe you said this and I just didn't catch it, do you ever combine both uh, your graphite and your watercolors into into one so you have that sort of uh, color contrast? Yeah, I certainly do, and I'd like to do more of that. And uh, sometimes I, I have used ink, ink lines, too, um, so combining the three different things. I've even thought recently, I'm, I'm, tr- I'm working on something that I'm having a lot of difficulty, or I'm trying to work on something and I'm having a lot of difficulty with it, and I'm thinking of just going off in different directions. And I was even thinking possibly of, of using uh, collage, uh, photographs, and drawing. I, I'm not exactly sure how I could do that. I don't generally like things that look like that but <laughs> kind of be multimedia in a way right yeah yeah definitely i've been i've been studying uh, uh in design and trying to study photoshop uh and trying to understand better how to use all of that because i'm really interested in in books uh, old <laughs> old books and i i have these i really would love to combine these different interests into something that involves the drawing, but also um, 
maybe a small book or some some kind of you know just one copy book, an illuminate illuminated manuscript or something like that. Um, so these are all ideas that are floating around. Well, when you say you you love older books, what what about those is is uh, particularly better, I guess, than newer books or different? Well, um, if I look at a really old book, it. Uh, for instance, uh, somewhere in New York, I saw some of the original Gutenberg Bibles, and the way the print lays on the page is, to me, so beautiful. It's not just, you can see that there's actually a difference where the where the type has pressed into the page, and the, the ink sort of maybe t- stands up above the page a little bit. It has a dimensionality about it that, uh, I mean, I, I like all books. I'm crazy about books, uh, but... The, the old ones and, and the kinds of type, um, the, uh, they're, they're like works of art. Um, that's, that's probably, they're beautiful. That's why I like the old ones. I agree with you. I, I, uh, I have the same sort of compulsion in a way. I can't really walk by books without stopping and, and looking through them. Uh, first, I want to see what the content is in there, but I do. I just, I love the feel of a book, you know, I love uh, a room with books on the, yeah. on the shelf. It's something oh. alluring to me. I don't know why. Yeah. Oh, me too. Absolutely. And um, I have no desire to work on a, uh, on, I mean, I, I like computers and I, I really find them wonderful, but I have no desire to draw on a computer like they have these um, drawing tools that, I forget the date. Some kind of pad, not an iPad, but there's something else that you can use. I have no desire to do that. I, I mean, the paper itself, the material, the pencil, the watercolor brush, all of these things are, I, they're just so much more appealing than the world of cyber world in, in terms of art. Right. There's, a, a, I guess, a visceral component to it, a physical component to it that is, is uh, just different. And I've talked to art, other artists that maybe didn't have this experience that, that uh, you or, or myself or anybody who is a few years older than the, the artist I, I'm talking about uh, mm-hmm. had. And, and they love just going on a computer. They, they, that's the only way they do it. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I belong to a, um, a botanical well, it's a natural science illustration uh, group, and um, get their journal and occasionally go to a meeting. And they're moving more and more in the direction of computer-generated uh, things. And I, I just find that very dissatisfying. But, you know, they if, if you're trying to make a living at it, of course, it's its marvelous to be able to do something quickly and, and uh, consistently. Yeah, but it, you know, again, is it about? It's always about time and money, isn't it? Yeah, I guess it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. talking to Trudy Gerlach. Gerlach, am I saying it correctly? Uh, well, you can say it any way you'd like, but I usually say Gerlach. Gerlach, Trudy yeah. Gerlach here on the program, yeah. and uh, I would say for sure you're an artist. I would also say you're an activist, among other things, and maybe we'll get into a little bit of that in a, in a bit, but. Um, before that, you also, I, I think, uh, wanted to talk uh, about your interest in anthracite mines and uh, yeah. their meaning, uh, as as well as their the history and, and things of that nature. Yeah, that's uh, in the last in the la- my last drawing was a um, a drawing. I, actually, I've been thinking about 
anthracite for quite a long time. I went to a wonderful uh, symposium at Luzerne College years ago, well, probably 20 years ago, and uh, it was about the strike of 1905, and um, that, and even before then, I I was interested. My mother and I would look for um, anthracite fossils out near Lopez mm-hmm. uh, in Sullivan County, Pennsylvania, and found some really beautiful things. And there was something. Of, and my mother, who was also an artist, uh, went to Scranton at times for something. And while she was down there, she would take her watercolors. And uh, she I found after she died a couple of uh, paintings she had done. One of uh, a breaker in northeast Scranton. I don't know which breaker and uh, comb piles. And they're they're just beautiful. Mm. So there's been a long involvement with uh, anthracite. Uh, and I, I guess it was when John and I went. To, John is my uh, my significant other. Uh, M- mentioned in the bio, <laughs> yes, he'll be on in a couple of weeks. Matter of fact, yes, wonderful. Yeah, and we we actually went to Huber Huber Breaker, which is was the last cold breaker in the Wyoming, Alagoana uh, 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 Valley. There was one left, not in the valley, but it's gone now too. And it was taken down, oh, maybe four years ago, something like that. But before. Um, before they uh, uh, took it down, uh, we were driving by on our way somewhere, and we said, oh, my gosh, there it is. Somebody had been telling us about it who was very disturbed about them tearing it down. So we went over and and trespassed and went into the breaker, and it was just an incredible place. Oh, my gosh. It was just, I, it was eerily wonderful. Um, oh, and we went back a couple of times. And I took lots and lots of photographs, and then I began looking around Scranton and Wilkesbury and the area for other things, and coming across them. Like uh, there's a wonderful dam in Nayog Park that was part of all the in- industry, and uh, there's a, a fan house in uh, the Wilkesbury Cemetery, the Dorrance Fan House that I've gone into and taken photographs a number of times, and various other spots, and. And the the thought, I, as I as I went on, also there's um, there are uh, there's a sympo- uh, symposium or various uh, lectures and what have you that happen every January. It's uh, Anthracite History Month, put on in great part by uh, uh, a person whose name I'm forgetting now. Bob. Uh, oh dear, he's written a book on the Anthracite labor wars. Anyway, uh, I would go to these things and and get to hear a lot of the people who had been involved in coal mining. And there's just felt, I, they're wonderful people. So yeah, I agree. also when, when I, when I, when I, we go to Scranton quite a lot to art openings and this and that and the other thing. And I began to ask people um, that I would meet, you know, if any of their family were involved in coal mining and it's almost everyone's, Everyone I speak to down in Scranton or Wilkes-Barre, their their family usually has been involved in one way or other in coal mining. Yeah, and I there's I don't know that terribly much about the history, but what I know is is very. It seems like it's a very although coal mining was not in many ways it wasn't good for people, but yet there's some kind of community that has continued on, and there's there's great. There's a feeling of people being part of that community. I I, I agree, and I I think, I mean, my family, I have, uh, on my mother's side, um, uh, 
connection to the mining industry, and really not a very good one either, a tragic one. My my grandfather was killed in the coal mines uh, in a cave, and, and I'll tell you, that affected my family, and it continues to culturally, you know, psychologically. Yeah. And, and oh, I, yeah. I think that in a way is people don't even realize how affected our culture was by the really difficult way of life that those folks had to endure. And it mm -hmm. created a character in the people um, mm -hmm. that is passed on. You know, some of it is great character. Some of it, you know, maybe not so great because it's it manifest, it, it's a manifestation of dealing with extreme circumstances where sometimes you, you, you know, you, you, yeah. you, don't, you don't deal with those in the best way. And then it's just passed on, whether right. it be drinking too much or whether it being distrustful of authority or a corporation or whatever. And you should be, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. yeah. but, but, right. but, you know, <laughs> these things uh, become part of our culture. We bond around it. You're right. And we identify ourselves. We we're like this, what do they say? Hard scrabble area. Uh, yeah. Like Biden will be saying that soon. I'm sure when he connects himself to Scranton, we're hard scrabble for a reason. And it's yeah. because yeah. of that tough past, that tough history. You are listening to Troubadours and Tours with E.W. Conundrum Demure on Radio Free Brooklyn. Yeah, and, and, and you mentioned the word camaraderie, and there, there is that definitely in all these uh, meetings that are part of this uh, uh, History Mind Month, January History Mind Month. There is that feeling uh, of camaraderie amongst people. Now, especially even after, I mean, after the coal mining days, there is something that ties people together in that. But this, the other thing about it that was intriguing to me and, and such a mystery is the thought of the mines underneath Scranton, Carbondale, uh, all the outlying uh, towns around Scranton, Wilkes-Barre. It, it's like a whole city down there. It's a it's another city, a, a ghost city now that it's been that it's no longer mined and that so much of it is filled with uh, water after the well it's not just the Knox mine disaster but many things. Um, but this thought, this idea of it down there uh, it's and I haven't been into a mine except for the anthracite uh, the anthracite uh, mine at the park in Scranton. Oh, the McDade, yeah. Yeah, that I've been there a couple of times, and I certainly will go again. But this feeling of being underground, I, I, John and I walked through the tunnel at Nayog, the railroad tunnel, which isn't a mine, but it is certainly involved with mining, and it has a feeling, I'm sure, that is somewhat similar. I know that tunnel. Yeah. <laughs> and there's something about it that I don't understand, and I'm, I've been trying to understand what it is that, allures me so much about that there's some kind of and it's not it's not necessarily a uh, uh something supernatural it's i mean it isn't something supernatural it's something more as if this were this were a metaphor uh for humans somehow let, let, let me i i'm i am working on i'm trying to work on this drawing and i it, it's about anthracite and i don't know how to do it. I started trying to work on it, and I, I found out that I just don't have the skill to do what I want to do, so I'm trying to acquire some of the skills. But the drawing is a three-part drawing. Uh, the, the first part on the left uh, should be, <laughs> if all works out, a, um, a fossil from the coal forests that formed the coal, uh, a kind of a fern 
and then the central part of the drawing will be mind maps. Have you, have you seen my mind maps? Yes, I have. Yeah, they're they're very they're they're wonderful looking to me. Yeah. Um, very detailed maps of exactly where the you know hopefully as well as they could do where the where the uh, the pillars are left and where the where it's been mined out and they they make incredible patterns. But the, anyway, the, so the second part is to be a mind map in the center. And the third part is to be um, oriental fire images, um, like the old Japanese or in some cases Chinese uh, woodcuts, uh, very stylized flames and uh, clouds. And uh, I'm going to combine these three things somehow. And not that I was trying to say something, but... It, it has to do with, I mean, when, when I look at the three things, I realize, of course, you have this green swamp, and then you have the mining of the coal, and then you have uh, fire, in other words, global, global warming. Mm-hmm. So um, that's, I, I, the, the idea of the mines isn't just, it, it's sort of an idea about, the dark, the dark parts of, well, the dark parts of humans' interaction with the world, but also the underworld has been um, has been the the uh, the birthplace in in myth of of the world. So it, whatever I'm whatever I'm thinking about, I don't understand what it is that is this is all about in my mind i really don't understand it but i can see it sort of like a conflict between two things uh dark and light i suppose yeah i don't know if any of that makes any sense makes so you took me on a journey and uh, i definitely uh was affected by it it makes sense uh, i mean it's 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 not a like an easy thing to to uh you know, identify so solidly, but I, I know what you're, what you're saying. And even the fire part, I mean, if, if you connect what we, what we actually do with the coal, I mean, you're right, the heating of the planet, climate change, fossil fuel burning, coal directly, of course, hugely is a part of that problem. Uh, but just we would burn it to heat ourselves. We'd burn it to forge iron. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and fire is so important to us as a species, but at the same time, it is dangerous. It's so powerful. It's beyond our control often and uh, mm-hmm. bigger than us for, for sure in many ways. Uh, and yeah, connecting it back to the, the natural state of things as you did uh, in, in initially with, with uh, what you shared. No, I get it. it there's, very, it's, there's very much the, the, uh, the soulful uh, experience, the spiritual experience of human, humanity in that. Well, I sure hope I can make this drawing express something. <laughs> it sounds like it will. It's a yeah. Trudy Gerlach in the program today, Troubadours and Rock on Tours. Um, and we're talking about her art and just her, her experience with the natural world, her exploration uh, of the natural world through her art. And, uh, you know, we have just several minutes to go. I'd like to 
also give you an opportunity um, to to share with us some of your thoughts, concerns, ideas, observations regarding you know our society at present. <clears throat> Excuse me. As I mentioned, I my experiences with you. Uh, are twofold. I've seen you as an artist in you know what uh, some of the shows uh, that um, you've you've put out put on, uh-huh. and I've also a lot of the shows were were uh, focused on social issues too. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. you know, as an activist, where how, how do you how are you seeing things lately? Oh boy, <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, they in so many ways they don't look good. Uh, I certainly don't like what's going on in the world in terms of uh, moving toward white uh, supremacy, uh, right-wing, uh, conservative, um, uh, uh, that, that kind of thing, the whole thing around uh, uh, trying to seal, trying trying to keep uh, migrants out. Um, and... I mean, not just the United States, but there are many, many countries who are who are beginning to really feel well. Well, this whole migrant thing is is I don't know whether all of it, but certainly more and more of it's going to be driven by uh, by uh, climate change and the catastrophes that are going to occur occur with that. And therefore, there's much there is now and will be more pressure from people wanting to migrate to the places that are not incredibly badly affected by climate change. Right, they'll so, be refugees, basically. They'll be you know, yeah. environmental <laughs> refugees. And I, I'm really, I'm sort of, I'm not sitting around, you know, wringing my hands all the time, but I can see that the world is going to change into something that we probably have no idea of how dreadful this is going to be in terms of uh, conflict between people. Um. But yet, at the same time, I look out my window and I'm seeing the the uh, flowering quince out here and the daffodils, and it's a beautiful, beautiful day, and the grass is green. And uh, I I don't like I don't like the kinds of well, I don't know that I guess all politicians have always been problematical, but <laughs> I certainly don't like our president. I don't like what's happening there, but I don't look at the entire uh, political. Uh, makeup of this country and say, oh, they're all a bunch of jerks. No, there's a lot of really good people in, in government um, who are running things and trying to keep, keep things on a good, uh, you know, like working against global warming and people in NASA or NOAA or various people who are, who are really good people. Um, uh, gee, I don't know. It's, it looks it looks. I feel horrible about the, the the wildlife of the world, the the things that are going extinct through no no fault of their own, because of climate change and because of deforestation and all of the expanding uh, effects of human beings. I don't know. So it's a mixed bag of emotions sometimes, <laughs> and that's yeah. That's, I mean, if yeah. It, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mixed bag. Definitely. And that's pretty human, you know. I mean, you have if you're if you're at all paying attention, you have to be a little concerned. But at the same time, you also have to be a little inspired. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, try to do what one can personally to keep things from getting 
horribly worse. I mean, each person can do something. I There's agree. no doubt about that. I agree. Um, and I'm, I think it's delightful that, that New York has stopped uh, allowing paper, uh, plastic bags, one-time-use plastic bags. <laughs> yeah, that's a great move. We should all follow in suit. Yeah, I've been trying. Every time I go to the grocery store, I try to remember to take my bags that I have in instead. Sometimes I forget them. <laughs> Old habits die hard, right? Yeah, they sure do. Yeah. Well. Well, Trudy, it's it's wonderful talking with you. It really is, and we're we're just about out of time for for this uh, this well, conversation. But we'll we'll definitely do another if you like. Any any I, anything you else you want to add? No, just thank you, thank you so much for uh, for uh, asking uh, me these questions and for wanting to talk with me. It's it's delightful, and uh, I I think it's wonderful that you do this. Oh, it's my pleasure. And if anybody wanted to see what you were doing, some shows coming up of your work, how would they find that out? I think there's a few things online here and there of drawings that I've done, or or uh, people can contact me if they want. And it's uh, G E R L A C H. Yes. The last name Gerlach and first name Trudy T R U D Y. Yes. So so wonderful having you on Troubadours and Rock on Tours. I hope to see you out in town soon. Okay, thank you, thank you, and you have a wonderful day. You too, thanks, Trudy. Okay.
small vaudeville story about a man who was about to be hanged. And they had brought him out on the scaffold there and put the rope around his neck. And the uh, minister in the prison said, uh, have you any last words before we spring the trap? And this thing was kind of shaky. And he looked up and he says, yes. He says, I don't think this damn thing is safe. <laughs> That's precisely the way I feel about coming out here tonight, surrounded by all those great actors. The, uh, you know, I never knew what an anachronism was until I was invited to appear on this show. <laughs> Why, they didn't ask our great American poet, Cassius Clay, to appear here tonight, I'll never know. He would have done a wonderful job. You know, I, I hardly knew anything about uh, Mr. Elliott's works. I knew he had written The Wasteland, which is the history of American television. <laughs> and BBC, too. <laughs> so anyhow, I am about to uh, read a poem about a cat. And this has some meaning here tonight because this is a theater, and this is a cat about a theater. After I recite this, you will realize what Mr. Elliot meant by murder in the cathedral. <laughs> and now here I go, head first. <laughs> Gus is the cat at the theater door. His name, as I ought to have told you before, is really asparagus. That's such a fuss to pronounce. We usually call him just Gus. His coat's very shabby, he's thin as a rake, and he suffers from palsy that makes his paw shake. Yet he was in his youth quite the smartest of cats, but no longer a terror to rats and to rats. For he isn't the cat that he was in his prime, though his name was quite famous, he says, in his time. And whenever he joins his friends at their club, which takes place at the back of the neighboring pub, he loves to regale them, if someone else pays, with anecdotes drawn from his palmiest days. For he once was a star of the highest degree. He has acted with Irving. He's acted with Tree. And he likes to relate his success on the halls, where the gallery once gave him seven catcalls. <laughs> but his grandest creation, as he loves to tell, was fire for our fiddle, the fiend of the fell. <laughs> this is an interpolation that I just did. <laughs> I have played, so he says, every possible part. And I used to know 70 speeches by heart. I'd extemporize back chat, I knew how to gag, and I knew how to let the cat out of the bag. I knew how to act with my back and my tail. With an hour of rehearsal, I never could fail. Had a voice that would soften the hardest of hearts, whether I took the lead or in character parts. I've sat by the bedside of poor little Nell. When the curfew was rung, then I swung on the bell. In the pantomime season, I never fell flat. And I once understudied Dick Whittington's cat. <laughs> but my grandest creation, as history will tell, was fire for a fiddle, the fiend of the fell. 
later somebody's going to explain that to me. You know. <laughs> then if someone will give him a toothful of gin, he will tell how he once played a part in East Lynn. At a Shakespeare performance, he once walked on Pat when some actors suggested the need for a cat. He once played a tiger, could do it again, which an Indian kindle pursued down a drain. And he thinks that he still can, much better than most, produce blood-curdling noises to bring on the ghost. And he once crossed the stage on a telegraph wire to rescue a child when a house was on fire. And he says, now these kittens, <laughs> they do not get trained as we did in the days when Victoria reigned. They never get drilled in a regular troop, and they think they are smart just to jump through a hoop. <laughs> Another interpolation. <laughs> and he'd say, as he scratches himself with his claws, I think this is where they do it. Well, the theater's certainly not what it was. These modern productions are all very well, but there's nothing to equal from what I hear tell that moment of mystery when I made history as fire for a fiddle, the fiend of the fell.
political potluck. Wisconsin, Indiana, Lubbock, Houston, Albany, Honolulu, Saskatchewan, New Era, Oregon, Wichita, Susquehanna, Burlington, Oneata, the county, parish, poultry, pageant, presiding presidents, fidget through and smile empty. Where has the senator gone? An important phone call. How y'all doing? Have it. Episode 318 of Troubadours and Rock on Tours with yours truly, E.W. Conundrum Demure. I'd like to thank all those folks who made this episode possible. First and foremost, 
artiste activist Trudy Gerlach. I also would like to thank our associate producer, Dr. Michael Pavis, and Groucho Marx, as well as T.S. Eliot, and these musical artists, Stefan Grappelli, Django Reinhardt, Rai Cooter, Joey Ramone, the Staple Singers, Mdu Maktar, Morphine, Brantford Marsalis, and Terrence Blanchard, too. So nice to know you're out there listening. Until next week, why don't we give it a go and try to enjoy this one. Take care.